God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for an opportunity to come together, first of this year, to worship you corporately. You bring us from all different places, all over this uh, state and this uh, country, really. We thank you for bringing us together here with the sole purpose of lifting up your name in praise. And your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So, Lord, we welcome you here today. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Go before us in everything we do, everything we say, the way we interact with one another. May you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know who brought me a Star Wars watch, but, you know, I'll have to see if I can get it set here in a little bit. Thank you, whoever that was. It says, nah, he doesn't exist. Okay, we start a new series today, um, and frankly, I didn't know where to go with, uh, with the uh, messages here at the beginning of the year. I have something mapped out that'll get us into, into the Easter season, the Lenten season, but um, I wanted to find some things to do at the beginning, and about three or four people asked me questions uh, right during the Christmas season about well, what does the Bible say about this or about this or about this so I thought you know maybe we'll answer some of those questions and I sat down and came up with uh, I believe it's eight or ten different topics that we could uh, discuss and that's what we'll be looking at in the first part of the year and maybe sporadically throughout the year to cover all the things. I'd like for you to open your Bibles if you have them, and if you don't, there's Bibles up here at the front, or the, the Scriptures on the screen. We're going to begin with a verse from 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Actually, it is just verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever lives forever. Notice that first phrase in there. Do not love the world. Does that sound like a contradiction with any other familiar phrase in the Bible? What about John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And yet the Bible tells us later not to love the world. How do we justify those two? What's, what's that contradiction and, and what's the difference? Well, here's, here's the difference in a nutshell. In John 3, 16, where Jesus says, God so loved the world, he's talking about the people of the world, the people in the world. And in 1 John 2, John says, don't love the world. He's not talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the world's value system. We're to love the people in the world, of course, but we're not to love the things 
of this world or the values of this world. And then he tells us what the values are. Back to this uh, uh, scripture in 1 John 2.15. This is the NIV version. It says, For everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from God, but from the world. And then in the New Century Version, it gives us a little more detail. It says there, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Begins the same way. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. These are the ways of the world. He's going to list them for us. Uh, we, need to, we need to know what these are, don't we? One, wanting to please our sinful selves. Two, wanting the sinful things we see. And three, being too proud of what we have. That's the world's value system right there, those three things. It goes on to say, none of these things comes from the Father, but all of them come from the world. The world uh, and everything that people want in it are passing away. But the person who does what God wants lives forever. That's a great way to start 2016. This week we're beginning a brand new series that I'm calling Knowing Right from Wrong. We all know right from wrong, don't we? Knowing right from wrong. So over the course of this year, we're going to look at, as I said, ten, eight or ten basic values that we need to build into our lives in order for us to have the success and the significance in our life that God intended for us to have. We're going to uh, talk about the implications of those values and how we can apply them to our moral and ethical day-to-day decisions. None of this does any good unless we can apply it to our lives. Don't want it to be just an intellectual exercise. And these aren't easy topics, let me tell you. They're not talked about in many social circles, but they're topics that we talk about among ourselves all the time. Many churches wouldn't touch them with the Grinch's 39-and-a-half-foot pole. But unless you and I get totally worn out on these topics, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about why and how do all these apply, these biblical values, to issues like sex? That perks everybody up. Habits, divorce, homosexuality, racism, abortion, feminism, evolution, and the environment. That covers a whole lot of things, doesn't it? We're going to look at all of these at some point during the course of 2016. And I hope that you're not going to miss a single week because there's so much material here to to cover. Some of the topics may take two or more weeks, like this first one, to cover. And I tell you, I can't either physically or emotionally deal with doing all these successively, one right after the other. But I'll let you know in advance, we'll, we'll let you know when one of these topics is coming up next so that you can plan 
to be here. Well, on your outline today, there's three of the most important questions that you'll ever ask yourself. Once you know Jesus Christ, of course, and you have that one settled, there, there aren't any more important questions in relation to how you should live your life than these three questions that we're going to look at. And make no mistake about it, your answers to these three questions are going to determine the kind of life you live, the kind of foundation you build, the kind of rewards you will have in heaven, and basically, your general success and significance in this life that we're living in. So I'm going to take the first question today, and on the back of your handout, you'll see blanks for the next two questions that I hope we'll finish next week. Here's the first. What is your standard for what's right and what's wrong? I mean, you've got to choose your standard. You've got to. What's going to be your personal standard for what's right and what's wrong? And as I see it, there are three choices, three basic choices, I guess, for your, for your standard, for your authority. On what basis will you make your decisions, moral decisions or otherwise? What's going to be your standard? What's going to be your authority? And the first is this, external authority. External authority. The world around you. The world around you has its opinions, doesn't it? It's opinions of what's right and what's wrong. And when you choose the external source for your moral authority, you're basically saying... I do what I do because everybody else does it. And if everybody else is doing it, it couldn't be wrong, could it? And even if it's wrong, it won't hurt anybody except me. That's the popular opinion, probably the most popular opinion. But popular opinion is not, well, I should say it is a very unreliable source for building your life, and for other things, because popular opinion changes, doesn't it? Year to year, day to day, week to week sometimes. What's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's true and what's not true. Political correctness. Do we say the D.C. demolition derby or do we say the Washington Redskins? Should we say the chairman of the committee or the chairperson of the committee? Do we say Christmas tree or holiday tree? Is it student-led prayer or a moment of silence or no prayer at all? So what's good or what's bad? Sugar? No sugar. Coffee? No coffee. Police or mobs? Second Amendment, no Second Amendment. Dialogue with Muslims or don't talk to anybody from another religion. What's true or not true? This politician or that politician? Maybe none of them are true. This news source or that news source? Republicans or Democrats? Netanyahu or Abbas? Bill Cosby or his accusers? The Bible or the Quran? popular opinion certainly isn't reliable. So what's wrong with popular opinion then? 
Exodus 23, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, says this. Don't spread a false report. Don't help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And the New Century version of that same, uh, those same two verses say, you must not tell lies. If you're a witness in court, don't help the wicked person by telling lies. You must not do wrong just because everybody else is doing it. That doesn't make it right. Instead, we do what Romans 12.2 says, the, the verse that Jeff reminded us of last week. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. And don't copy the behavior of this world around you. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase says this, and I love it. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't allow it to happen. That's the external source. When we say, I'm just going to do what everybody else does. God says, don't. Because it's very unreliable. The second authority would be internal authority. I'm going to go with, well, how I feel today. Some people say, I'm not going to do what the crowd does. But I'm going to listen to what I have to say, the voice inside me. See, I alone can decide what's right and what's wrong in my own life. I'll choose what's right or I'll choose what's wrong. And nobody else, nobody else is going to tell me what's right or wrong. I can figure it out for myself. You know, if it feels good, then it must be right. <laughs> hmm. That must be some of you. So there's three problems with this internal authority, with setting yourself up as the authority for what's right and for, for what's wrong. The first one would be this. You have a limited perspective. Your perspective is very limited. You don't have all the facts. You don't see the end from the beginning. You can't know the factors behind what's happening. You can't see the ripple effects of your decisions. We have a limited perspective. How many of you have ever done something that you really felt was the right thing to do, and it turned out to be an unmitigated disaster? You know that dream job that you wanted with all the money and all the benefits that go along with it, the other perks, you are not a very reliable source for absolute truth yourself, are you? I can't tell you the number of times in my own life that I thought what I was doing was the right thing to do, and I did it, and I fell flat on my face. It was a disaster. I flopped. So relying on myself as a source of authority for the source of choosing what's right or what's wrong is as invalid as saying, I'm going to let the world choose what's right or wrong. 
because we have a limited perspective. The second problem with setting yourself up as the authority for right and wrong is because the Bible says our hearts are deceptive. Our hearts are deceptive. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? Have you realized that a lot of times you can't figure out even why you do what you do? And if you can't figure out why you do what you do, how can you find out why somebody else is doing what they do? I've tried, I, I've tried to stop judging other people and their motives because I know most of the time I can't figure out my own. See, my heart is deceitful. And the Bible says that you can actually con yourself into thinking you're doing right. Don't set yourself up as an internal authority. The, th the third problem is many people confuse that little voice within, their voice. They confuse their voice with God's voice. I remember a Time magazine cover from, I believe it was about November of 1978. And I remember the picture of the guy on the cover. It even bothers me to this day. Pasted across his face, it said, Trust me. Trust me. And this same leader of the People's Temple, this Jim Jones on the cover of Time magazine, is the trust me guy who led over 900 people to commit suicide by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. I mean, how could something like that happen? How could it happen? How could a loving God allow that suffering to happen? Well, it's because our hearts, you see, are deceitful. And a lot of times we confuse our desires with what God really says. We think that because I desire it, God must want, must want me to have it. But that's not necessarily what God wants, is it? I've had guys say to me, God told me to do this. God told you to leave your wife and marry that bimbo? Yeah, right. But it feels so good. A guy named Luther Ingram wrote a hit song that rocketed to the top of the soul charts. A song that's been re-recorded by, among other people, Barbara Mandrell and Leanne Rimes and Rod Stewart. So what kind of song would speak to audiences in all those different genres? The song says this, If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Why? Because your heart is deceptive deceptive it's deceitful and because you don't have a good perspective of things Proverbs fourteen twelve says there is a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death I put that verse in, in your hand out there if you're one of these that um, 
that likes to write in your Bible, and if you're not, you need to. Underline that verse in your Bible, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And I want you to circle the word seems. Seems right? If you want to see an example of leaning on your own wisdom, of leaning on your own heart, leaning on your own rationalization to make it in the world, and you want to see the end result of setting yourself up as the authority, pull out your Bibles and read the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, in which Solomon, the richest man in all the world, blew all of his money, blew all of his energy, blew all of his reputation because of the key phrase in Ecclesiastes. He used it five times. He said, I said to myself, I said to myself, why don't I do this? I said to myself, self, don't ever set yourself up as the authority. Isaiah 55, 8 says, actually God says there, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. You can't use external authority. You can't use internal authority. But the third source of authority for your life is this, eternal authority. Eternal authority. Authority. See, it's not the world around me. It's not the voice within me. It's the God above me that matters. That's the third source, the God above me, and what that God has to say. And the only way for you to know what God says is to read His Word. Read His Word. Jude uh, verse 24 says this, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So here, why don't you circle that word authority, eternal authority. Why do I say eternal authority? Because it says before all ages, now, and forevermore. It's eternal. God is the only authority throughout all of eternity. Emmanuel, God with us. We just... We just Spent a season looking at God becoming man. Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. And, it, and there's two characteristics of truth. Truth is always universal. It means it's everywhere. For all times. And it's always unchanging. Truth isn't truth today and not truth tomorrow. Truth is truth, is truth, is truth, is truth. And that's what God is, and that's who God is. He's universal, and he's unchanging. 
Our key verse today, Proverbs 2, 9 from the Living Bible says, He, that's God, He shows how to distinguish right from wrong. How to find the right decision every time. Not once in a while, every time. How does He show us? <laughs> Through His Word. Through His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 I think I told you once before if you want to do a little study go through uh, your Bible and pick out every 3.16 in each book and you'll be amazed at how many of those verses are major verses throughout the Bible it just happens that way 2 Timothy 3.16 from the New Century Version all scripture is given by, ins by inspiration of God and is useful for teaching for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and teaching how to live right. Notice that it says in this passage that Scripture does these four things. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for showing people what's wrong in their lives. It's useful for correcting faults, rebuking us, and it's useful for teaching how to live right. Not only does it show us what's wrong, Scripture shows us how to live right. So in this series, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about these different issues? What is my source of authority? And when God does become my source of authority, we have to know what He says. Doesn't that make sense? It makes sense to me. If I say, God is my source of authority, but I still decide internally what I think God's saying, then guess who's in charge? Who has the authority? It's not God anymore. It's me. And the great thing about God giving us this book is that he's given us a way to live life. And at Renovation Church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard, it's the only authority that we have for our faith and for our life. What is your standard to determine right from wrong? It is the beginning of the year, and every first uh, Sunday of the year, I like to give you uh, a little pep talk about picking up your Bibles and maybe reading it. Maybe deciding, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to try to read through this thing. You know, I get started, and boy, there's some great stories in Genesis. And Exodus isn't bad. And then I get over to Numbers, and it's like, holy mackerel. What in the world? I'll never finish this. And then we get to Leviticus with the laws, and oh my goodness. Last couple of years, I've given you a place that you can actually go to to, uh, to find a plan for reading through the Bible. And I think that's, yeah, there it is on the board. www, on the board, on the screen. Taught school too long. www.htb.org slash B-I-O-Y, Bible in one year. 
And if this might encourage you, let me ask those of you that are using the Bible in One Year app or computer email stuff. There's quite a few of you in here that have used it. There, I knew there were some others. Uh, it's easy. It's going to take you maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day. And the thing that I love about it is I don't have to go looking for it. It comes to me. There's an app, and it'll come to my phone, or it'll go to my desktop. Either way that I want to do it that day, it comes to me. It's written by Nikki Gumbel, who is the, uh, um, not the originator, but the um, perfecter, I guess, of the Alpha course at Holy Trinity Brompton Anglican Church, HTB. And he found out that people there had trouble reading through the Bible. What he'll do is give you an Old Testament reading and some commentary that applies it to your life today. The Old Testament does apply to your life. He'll give you either a psalm or a proverb, and then he'll give you a New Testament passage with commentary as well. If you haven't done this before, try it. Try it. Download it as soon as you get out of here. Now, that's just one plan. You can go on the Internet and put in Bible reading plan or read through the Bible in one year plan, and they're going to give you hundreds. There's literally hundreds of ways that you can do that. Choose one. I don't care which one you're going to choose. And if you think that's too bad for you, too, too much for you to do to read through the Bible, find one that's reading through the New Testament in a year. Break it down even smaller. The thing is, I want you to read. I want you to know what God's saying in His Word. I want it to become part of your life. I want you to understand what He says is right and what He says is wrong because we believe that this is the authority, the only authority for our faith and for our life. Let's pray. Some of you might want to take this time to, to kind of say in your heart, Jesus, I blew it today, or I blew it this week, or I blew it this last year. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. It's just as real today as it was the day I first came to know you. And if you haven't come to know Christ yet, today's a good day to do it. Come to know him today. Right now, right now in your heart, say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need to live the kind of life that you want me to live. But frankly, most of us here are Christ followers already. And it's just a matter sometimes of coming back to him and saying, Lord, would you refresh my relationship with you? I want to come home. I want to come home and live with you. Lord, together we want to ask that you would help us individually be the person that you want us to be to the world, to the community around us. They need to hear your truth. They need to see your love worked out brothers and sisters in Christ all around us need someone to lift them up.
we all have problems. We all have been through situations in this past year. Some of them seem unsurmountable. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have had to move. Some of us are caring for parents or uh, spouses. Some of us have lost our spouse or our mom or our dad or our brother or sister. And you're there. You're there. We're there, God, to help, help lift them up, to encourage them, to walk with them arm in arm as they face these difficulties. Lord, help us to ask in our hearts, what would you do in the situations that face us? Help us to find through your Holy Spirit's power within us, through your word for direction for us, the strength to do the right thing, not the wrong thing, the right thing. And maybe, just maybe, right things that we've never done before. Because now, we're asking that question in our hearts. What would you want me to do? Show me. In Jesus' name, amen.